the challenges and opportunities in health system pharmacy. We'll talk about that next on Locked On Pharmacy. You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. You are listening to the Locked On Pharmacy Podcast, the insider's view into the world of pharmacy. Hello, this is Frank Fortin from the American Pharmacists Association. When the general public thinks of a pharmacist, they may think of a pharmacist behind a counter at a community pharmacy. But as we know, pharmacists work in all kinds of practice settings, and that includes thousands of pharmacists at hospitals and other health system environments. Their challenges may be somewhat similar to community pharmacists, but also different. Last week, APHA created a special council to discuss health system pharmacy issues and to advise the association on how to serve pharmacists in those settings. I'm joined today by the chairs of that new council, Steve Rao from the nationwide pharmacy consulting firm Visante and Noelle Chapman from Advocate Aurora Health in Chicago. Welcome, Steve and Noelle. Thank you for joining us. Um, let's start with you, Steve. And you know, pharmacy is pharmacy. You know, the profession is a profession. But what is unique or special or particular to health system pharmacists? The, the things that are uh, shaping the environment and the things that are sort of keeping health system pharmacists up at night. How would you how would you say that? Sure, that's a great question. Um, I think you know my my views on it are that there's probably been more never been more external like in healthcare in general, environmental type of issues that are impacting um, not just the pharmacy profession at whole at large, all pharmacists, but, but health system pharmacists um, that they're grappling with. And I think some of those are external and a few of them are internal. So, you know, I, I sort of view the driving forces in five different buckets. I see um, financial or margin pressures being a major, major external um, force I see secondly, quality outcomes and regulatory type of issues. There's more scrutiny than ever before and expectations from consumers and payers around quality, safety and, and regulatory standards. I think uh, even pre-pandemic, there was a, a heightened focus on uh, thirdly uh, population health. And, and I think perhaps um, that's been, been accelerated uh, as a result of the pandemic. Fourthly, there's just constant new innovation in disruption that leaders need to react to. And, and lastly, there's there's workforce challenges, both internal to pharmacy and, and external. So um, taking those five, like a little bit more detail in terms of those five from a financial perspective, um, there, there's it's no surprise that drug costs are rising at a trend that's unsustainable. Uh, and we see more orphan diseases. Um, there's an aging patient population. So higher complex, more dangerous, high cost drugs, coupled with aging patient population uh, and different ways to treat chronic disease means there's more medication management complexity that, than ever ever in the past. So at the same time, you have those drug costs going up, it's becoming more challenging to care for patients. You have payers expecting providers to do uh, what they've always done at a, at a lower cost and more efficiently than ever before. So you take those trends coupled with um, the rising growth of specialty pharmaceuticals, you know, niche drugs that treat small percent of patient populations, but occupy a growing percent of the drug budget uh, nationally and at the health system level. 
You see payers trying to implement innovative strategies to, um, to disrupt that cost, such as white bagging, brown bagging, payer restrictions, drug access uh, restrictions. They limit the health system pharmacist's ability to adequately care for the patient and put uh, new financial pressures on health systems from being able to grow their margin and revenues. So I think that, you know, continuum of care, I see home infusion therapy, uh, perhaps becoming the next specialty pharmacy in terms of key to managing patients at the lowest cost, but also preserving revenues within the health system versus having those revenues leak out. So, you know, 10 years ago, I don't think pharmacy leaders spent much time thinking about site of care, revenue cycle and supply chain. But today, I think they, they need to spend a lot of time and have expertise in those areas. Um, from a quality perspective, without getting into all the details, uh, you know what they are, I mean, still compounding, drug diversion, opioid epidemic, the, the, the drive for transparency and for metrics to demonstrate pharmacy's value. Pharmacy is a very high cost. We're the second highest med medical provider, second highest healthcare provider in terms of cost. So of course, people that are trying to control costs look at pharmacists and say, whoa, they start to scrutinize. What's their value? Uh, do they have metrics to prove their value? Uh, they want to be part of the the patient care continuum, part of the care team, have, have advanced practice privileges. Sh show me the proof that as costs are going up, that they really add value in terms of keeping costs down and improving quality and safety to justify their existence. Uh, from a population health perspective, um, obviously rising cost, I think plays a lot into that, but the whole notion of patients having access to care, leveraging technology, remote services in a way that's convenient for them but that gives them choice, but doesn't restrict um, quality it, it is, is something that pharmacy is going to have to figure out. How do we get better integrated into the overall care coordination process? So you've seen a lot of single hospitals forming multi-hospital systems, multi-hospital systems merging with anticipation and expectation that that's going to lower cost and improve efficiency and improve quality of care. The reality is there probably is not a lick of data out there to prove that those sort of integration efforts have done anything to lower costs and improve quality. A lot of times they, they add bureaucracy, they add politics, they make the pharmacy leaders role more challenging in terms of, of vying for resources. So um, the focus on population health and systemness, while important, has increased the complexity uh, of how care is provided and led to perhaps even higher costs for systems that don't really leverage their pharmacy as an enterprise to be efficient, which means from a population health perspective, it's very important that large systems have a pharmacist who's a leader at the C-suite level representing all aspects of patient care services in the business of pharmacy. In terms of disruption, I mean, there's the pandemic is the most obvious thing to point at, but you know, we're all dealing with provider wellness issues and burnout and uh, social injustice that needs to be addressed. And marketplace mergers and acquisitions and big data and precision medicine and Amazon and, you know, you name it, new technologies, telehealth, you see vertical integration with insurance companies and PBMs buying up specialty pharmacies and now starting to buy up medical groups. So the disruption in terms of how care is provided outside of the health system impacts the health system pharmacist. And lastly, from a workforce standpoint, my own personal concern is as a profession, we have too many niches. We don't have enough togetherness. Um, we have silos within our profession where each silo wants to do best for themselves, but not necessarily what's best for all of pharmacy. 
And Noel and I have talked about this, like we don't think it does any good for one sector of pharmacy to thrive while another sector suffers as a result. So we want advanced scope of practice. We want provider status. We want to get paid for patient care services. All that's important. Where's the metrics to show that's beneficial? How can the healthcare system afford to have pharmacists serving in a provider role? For that to happen, the dollars have to come from somewhere. You know, and that a lot of times other providers might think it comes out of their pocket shifted to pharmacists. So provider status is the right thing, but the politics of making it happen means we all have to come together and align as a profession and have stronger advocacy. Uh, my last comments are, you look at schools of pharmacy, uh, there, there is a surplus today in the number of schools of pharmacy and the number of students, I think in over a 10 year time frame. Yeah, that market will probably uh, correct itself, but can we really wait 10 years for that to happen? So there's a lot of cities now. It's very, very challenging to find a pharmacist job in an urban setting. You gotta go into rural communities if you're a new graduate. We have more residency applicants than ever before that unfortunately aren't getting residencies. So we need more residency programs to take on the students to wanna do residencies. And while all this is happening within pharmacy, we see a, the fastest acceleration ever of the number of nurse practitioners and physician assistants graduates who are starting to try to compete with pharmacists for those medication management types of roles. So I, I think um, salaries the, are high. We're seeing- Physicians aren't standing still numbers. either. And, it, physicians, and physicians aren't standing still and at the same time, are not. Right, it, it, exactly. So, so all these things I just mentioned, like perfect storm, right? We need to do something to bring the pharmacy together and have ways for health system pharmacists to, to, to grow and to flourish and to, collaborate and share. And that's where I think this health system strategy council we're working with, with APHA can help to begin to solve some of these problems. Noel, what's, what do you see from your perspective? I, I completely agree, uh, particularly with the buckets that Steve mentioned. Uh, Steve, you mentioned that a decade ago, pharmacy leaders were not necessarily dealing with all of these same things. And quite frankly, I think that translates to what we see on the front line as well. Our frontline practitioners, whether they're pharmacists or technicians, have to be more knowledgeable and more conversant in all of these items, all these different buckets that you mentioned, to be able to find, fix, and prevent drug-related problems for patients. And to integrate what we're trying to do to provide the best patient care that we can, we have to be able to say, okay, how, how do the regulatory and quality factors play in? You know, what are the financial pressures that we're dealing with? Um, as the practice shifts from you know, inpatient acute care more to that population health, preventative care, uh, we have to be nimble and, and flexible in that. And our practitioners uh, recognize that and you know, need to adapt in a, a very quick way to that. Uh, particularly with the workforce uh, things that you brought up, Steve, I, I think it's important to know that there is a lot of opportunity out there. There are a lot of gaps that pharmacists and pharmacy technicians can fill. Um, and it's not about competition. I know that, you know, sometimes it gets that way, whether it's physicians or the uh, mid-level providers, nurse practitioners, so on and so forth. Um, but there's a lot of patients who still need great quality care that aren't getting it. And so really being able to survey those environmental factors and determine how do we best fit those niches and, and how we can pivot um, to respond to those needs, I think is gonna be a, a critical uh, part of that analysis for the front line moving forward. You know, Noel, your comment about pharmacists and technicians is, is spot on. In, in my role as a consultant that tries to help elevate pharmacy health system pharmacy to provide care in an excellent fashion. 
You know, I step in organizations all the time where I see pharmacists doing jobs, performing day in day out roles that could be formed, performed just as well by, by a much lower cost and sometimes more accurate and highly skilled pharmacy technicians when it comes to technical work. So as a profession, we, we give a lot of um, lip service to have technicians take over drug dispensing and preparation activities. So pharmacists can be at the bedside as patient care providers practicing top of license. And sometimes I think the biggest barrier to that is ourselves, where pharmacists, some pharmacists don't want to give up those roles. And so we need leaders. If we want to have provider status, you can't have a payer come in to a pharmacy and have vastly different experience in terms of the level of care they receive from a pharmacist. We need to elevate that to have others, payers, administrators see us as providers. And then the gap is huge right now. It's getting better, but there's still a wide gap. And so we need pharmacists and, and pharmacy leaders to embrace that top of license notion that in order to do that, we have to be willing to give up some of the control and let technicians and technology perform that work. <clears throat> Pardon me. Uh, Noel, I want to ask you, has, has the pandemic accelerated any of these changes? What has the experience been like for you and from your vantage point at Advocate? Yeah, I... Uh... I think it has accelerated um, both in, in a couple different ways. Um, I, you know, a lot of the the different uh, factors that we mentioned, um, we've had to really design and develop ways to reach patients uh, quickly in order to navigate through the pandemic. Um, you know, the, just kind of picking up with the technician thread. Um, I, I think there's a lot that we've had to hand off to technicians, um, as we should have been, and, and we're preparing to do before that, um, in order to be able to use our, our resources wisely. And, I, you know, I think that the pandemic, and I don't want to say that it's a, been a positive thing in any way, shape, or form. However, I think there's always something that you can learn from and grow um, from crisis or, or difficult opportunities. And that has really been an opportunity for the, the pharmacy profession to shine in a couple different ways. I think in terms of emergency management, um, this is something that, that we have done well. We've um, you know, historically had to manage uh, various things, a, a changing workforce, all of those factors that, that Steve mentioned, um, developing short and long-term plans to be able to address that. And, really the pandemic has offered us an opportunity to say, look at these skills that, that we have within pharmacy and, and we can help you uh, bridge that gap and, and serve patients in that way. Uh, obviously there's been a lot of movement in terms of drug expertise <laughs> uh, throughout the pandemic. I think a year ago, you know, what we were using and what we thought would happen and, and what we know now are, are, is completely shifted probably 15 times over. And you know, that's an area where pharmacists really um, can excel. Being able to interpret those data, being able to understand, make that translatable to patients and other healthcare providers, um, it, it's, it's a critical skill in this kind of evolving landscape. And, and I think being able to adjust, whether that's face-to-face you know, -face care that we were used to providing before or adjusting that to telephonic services or you know, Zoom meetings, uh, you know, whatever it might be, um, that's been a critical factor. Uh, and I think the last piece that I, I definitely want to mention is the doorway out of this pandemic has really been uh, vaccination efforts. Right. And this is something that, you know, pharmacy has been poised to fill that gap and yet has never really um, excelled to the level that we could or should be uh, because the, the need wasn't as great as it is now. And when I look across the nation 
at how health systems are responding, how retail pharmacies are responding and trying to fill that gap and get those doses in arms. I think it's something to really be proud of. I think that uh, this is something that's gonna have a lasting effect on how we provide care to patients. Um, I think that also it's not just about the vaccination itself. It's about all those other pieces I mentioned and how that comes to a crux. And hopefully it gives us a, a greater foothold to achieve some of those things that we just talked about in the previous question about how do we truly integrate as healthcare providers, but also how do we integrate across our own profession? Um, and that, that is something that I've really uh, seen uh, the profession embrace throughout this, this time period. That's great. Steve, uh, do you have something to add too? Yeah, I would. I think what Noel kind of described was sometimes necessities, the, the mother of invention and innovation. And I can tell you, I mean, glass half full look at the pandemic, it has provided a lot of pharmacists and a lot of the organizations, it's invited them to tables they've never been at before in terms of leading. And it's helped, it's helped physicians, it's helped hospital administrators see pharmacists through different lenses. So, but you know, the challenge is, all right, pandemic's gonna soon hopefully be over. You know, how do you keep that momentum rolling? How do you sit, keep those relationships that you've developed um, and, and leverage them to, to, to drive expanded services and to continue to be at the table for decision-making and respected versus an afterthought. And, um, you know, I, I think, I think risk-taking, um, entrepreneurship, um, are, are, are skills and attributes that aren't inherent in most pharmacists. And so we, we need strong leadership, both from the bottom up and top down within pharmacy to make sure the, the, the momentum we've seen doesn't just, um, Get shifted away post pandemic. The other thing with the pandemic is not all, but most hospitals and health systems are struggling financially. And you are starting to see pharmacy rise at the, rise in terms of a, the opportunity and an opportunity that's never been looked at before in terms of pharmacy's value to help lower costs and drive revenue. So you think back to 1999 when the to Era's human IOM report came out telling the nation how prevalent and expensive and deadly medication errors were. That was like the greatest thing that had ever happened for the pharmacy profession, because those who understood that story and could speak to the literature were able to gain resources to expand clinical services, adopt new technology, grow programs, et cetera. Well, now post-pandemic financial crises in healthcare is the, another great opportunity for pharmacy to step up, lead, say, let's take some risks, let's start new programs, let's show we can lower costs, grow revenue, and at the same time, for our health systems, and at the same time, have patient care and safety be better as a result of those pharmacy services that drive and improve financial performance. So uh, pharmacy needs to be at the table for this to be actualized. It's important that pharmacy enterprises within health systems are structured the right way with the top pharmacy leader at the C-suite with the right level of, of mid leaders, vice presidents, directors, et cetera, um, focus more on, on the execution uh, but what a great opportunity for pharmacy to, to thrive and do all the things we've talked about the past 10 or 15 years, but outside of a few small niches haven't really been successful doing. So how can the council help with all that? I mean, there is, it's not like you got, you folks um, had time, a lot of time on your hands. So you agreed to take this on, um, the uh, sharing the leadership of this group. Uh, how do you think, how do you, um, how are you hoping or positioning the council to make an impact, not only on pharmacists, but to help APHA address some of these issues for health system pharmacists? Um, Steve, we can start well, with you. You start with me? Yeah. Okay. 
Well, I think Noel and I have spent a lot of time like thinking about this and planning it since November, right? When we were asked to serve and yeah, we are volunteer leaders. And one of the lessons learned throughout my career is, you know, never say no when opportunities like this present themselves, even though you have to do some of it on your own time, what you get back is always more than what you give into it. Right. But um, so, so Noel and I sat down and thought about this council when, when Scott asked us to, to co-chair it. And, and, you know, we've both been engaged with professional organizations our, our whole lives um, in, in leadership roles. That includes pharmacy professional organizations. That includes working through GPOs and other, you know, organizations to lead and try to help advance pharmacy. So this, this notion of serving in this new role wasn't new to us, but we said, all right, we may think, Noel and I may think we have all the answers, but we, we have some of them. But this is going to take a lot of smart, talented, committed people to volunteer because um, nothing moves forward in organizations, professional organizations, without the engaged members to drive things forward and to help members help members be successful. So we sort of adopted that principle that the culture of what we develop within APHA with the Health System Strategy Council is not just about executive strategy. It's about APHA members helping other members to be successful. And through that, we're all successful and learn. Um, I, I think historically we saw that APHA, while some health system pharmacists had been members, they really hadn't been engaged members. There wasn't really a lot of reason for health system pharmacists, clinicians, health system technicians, health system executives in pharmacy to go to an APHA meeting or to participate in APHA. There really wasn't a structure for it. So we said form follows function. Let's get smart people that can help us set the vision, help develop the structure and help encourage um, members with a lot of drive and passion that wanna make a difference, give them ways to get involved and make sure the organization then has the resources to support those aspirations of the members to help them be successful. So, I mean, Noel, looking back on our discussions, I would say that's kind of how it started. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I couldn't agree more that, you know, this, this was an opportunity to be able to look at things in a way that I know we both feel very passionate about and how to continuously move pharmacy practice forward. And the only way to do that is really to, to keep your finger on the pulse of what our practitioners need. Um, and I, I really see this council as an opportunity to find and fill those gaps. And by listening to people and, you know, uh, Steve and I probably do have a couple answers here or there, but the reality is we're all dealing with uh, a lot of struggles and being able to listen and have a forum to pe for people to be able to bring those issues forward, um, particularly from a health system perspective, I, I think is really, really critical. And the thing that I hope to accomplish, and I, I know Steve and I have talked about this as well, is to be intentional, but to be action oriented, really to, to do something to help support practitioners, pharmacists, technicians, but also to be a disruptor um, in a positive sense to say what we're doing now is great. How can we be better? How can we poke holes in it? How can we think about it differently? And how can we design a, a forum for voices of pharmacy to come forward and really pull us together as a profession and address needs across the continuum? You know, and I, I have I have volunteered with member-driven organizations that when the members suggest, the, the members who are engaged say, this is what needs to happen. The organization actually puts resources into it. 
And then I've been involved with organizations where members speak up and want to drive change and be engaged and bring great ideas forward. But because the staff of the organization don't want to do it, those ideas die. They give lip service to members. We vowed to be different than that. We want all comers to have a way to participate, to engage and serve. They're going to have to be willing to do some work. You know, if you look at any, if you look at most volunteer committees, you know, 10% of the people do 90% of the work. And we just don't want that to be our culture. We want our culture where it's not onerous to participate. You don't have to come to a two-day meeting to get involved. You can do it remotely. Meetings can be a shorter duration on more succinct and temporary topics, but we're gonna request that you be present, you be positive, and you participate. And if you can do those three things, we want you engaged with the health system uh, you know, strategy and structure within APHA. So we were deliberate about the membership. Noel and I worked with, worked with APHA staff to say, how do we make sure we have a diverse membership? And I mean diverse from all perspectives, including, um, you know, including age, experience, um, region, or geography, in terms of the type of health system you work for. We didn't want it to be all academic health systems. We wanted small hospitals, rural hospitals, academic centers, and faculty and anywhere in between represented to help bring ideas to the table. And then I think we asked, we asked a lot of questions about people's afflictions on our strategy council, their aspirations, their ideas. We were very specific around let's, let's define our vision, right? Because if we don't know our vision and where we're headed, how are we ever going to know if we get there? So we came up with a very clear vision statement that's advancing the professional success of health system pharmacists, practitioners, and leaders. That's our vision. So that's what we want to achieve. We said our mission is to figure out how we advance their professional success through programming. So you got to have content through advocacy, which I think is one of APHA's long-term hallmarks that we can only, you know, keep continuing to make better, but they're the best at it. So let's, you know, focus on our strengths, right? Advocacy. Services, having services to members to help them be successful focusing on collaboration, professional collaboration and networking, because without relationships, people don't want to, you know, it's about the people. It's not about the thing. So it's got to be about the relationships and engaging because you make friends and you work together to change the profession. If you do that, you have fun and you feel like you make a great difference and it's rewarding. So we got to make sure we focus on collaboration and networking forums. And if we do those five things right, programming, advocacy, services, collaboration, and networking, you know what happens? Engagement happens. That's when members feel engaged and are willing to raise their hand and say, I want to get involved. I want to lead. I want to help make positive change happen. So I think, you know, once we've set that as our mission, you know, our charter is we're focusing on three things. We're advising APHA on strategy, strategy and tactics to achieve that vision and mission. We're focusing when contemporary issues come up, we want to provide strategic direction to APHA on what they could do in a meaningful way to help members deal with those challenges. And thirdly, we want to have an effective working structure where people want to be engaged, can raise their hand and be involved and stay involved. And not like, we want to have enough um, supply to meet the demand. I think Noel and I have, have learned in the past couple of months, there's a lot of people that want to be engaged with this within the profession. They've wanted to serve other professional associations but there have been barriers, either not enough seats at the table or you got to go through a bureaucratic process to get appointed and they just don't have the time to get away to contribute in that level. So we're really looking at innovative and fun ways to get people involved. 
Well, that sounds great. Um, and um, I think we'll make that the final word. Uh, Steve Rao and Noel Chapman, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. And that's it for this edition of Lockdown Pharmacy. This is Frank Fortin from the American Pharmacists Association. Thank you for listening. This podcast has been brought to you by the American Pharmacists Association, the largest professional association of pharmacists in the United States.